part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Would you open your Bibles to James chapter 2? We've made it to James chapter 2. And we took a couple weeks off, and uh, as we took uh, Father's Day off and last week off, we looked at the, the story, uh, I like to call it the parable of the two sons rather than the parable of the prodigal son because I think that we lose uh, not only half of the message, I think we lose the, really the emphasis of the message when we look at just the prodigal. It is an important part of the story, and yet when we look at the clientele that had gathered around the people that were there that day, we know that uh, Christ very much was speaking to those that were considered the outcasts, the, the sinners, and so that he wanted them to know that, uh, okay, prodigals, you can come. And the mercy and the grace of a, of a loving father. But he also wanted to speak to those that had this mentality that, uh, that maybe they had a relationship with the father on, on some works or something that was deserved, a, a legacy, a, legacy a, a heritage that was kind of instilled in them. And, and so I, I really believe that as we look at that elder brother that it's so easy for us to, to say, man, we can, we're the prodigals when we would proclaim that, but that we lose kind of the, the bite of, of that parable and somehow we don't see that elder brother in all of us, that one that is a little bit judgmental, like, God, it's just not fair. Well, as we open up to James, as we go back to James chapter 2, we're going to find something that, believe it or not, is kind of very similar. You know, I don't know that James was reading the parable of the two sons when, when he began to write chapter 2 as he's writing this letter, but, but very much as he begins to talk about partiality, showing partiality and favoritism, very much that was something that was probably alive and well in the Jerusalem church. Think about it. A lot of these are Jewish people, a Jewish background. They have come to know Christ, and he has set them free. And yet, at the same time, as they began to see Samaritans and others perhaps coming to that church there in Jerusalem, uh, maybe there was a little bit of that standoffish. We see Paul writing about that. Certainly in James, in the church in Jerusalem, there was some of that going on there too. And so he begins to address this whole measure of favoritism of showing favor to one and, and not really understanding uh, that because of grace, folks, we're all equal. You know, this is a passage in James chapter 2 that, that we could easily read and say, you know, Bobby, I can't say that we haven't always struggled with that, but, but I think we're on top of that. Man, we're equal today. We treat everybody the same. And, and I would say that at Cornerstone, you really have one of the things I was impressed with from the very beginning is your genuine love, not only for one another, but for people in community. One of the first ones that I met was Jeff. One of the first occasions that I had to really do something with part of the body was I serve. My goodness, how can you come away from that without a positive feeling, a blessing of saying, man, these people really know how to love. You know, they're, they're not showing partiality. There's not favoritism. These people are really living out the beauty of the gospel. And you've continued to show that in, in these last months and so we would read this and we're going, you know, I don't think we have that problem in our church. And maybe you would even say that you don't have that problem, that particular problem in your own life. Hey, Bobby, I've got plenty of problems, but, you know, partiality, favoritism is not really one of those. And yet that is the text before us. And so we want to examine that. We want God to open up our mind and our hearts and our eyes so that we can begin to see really what was that message of James. How does it apply to us? When we left last week, we looked at grace, and, and the, we, we said that grace was messy. 
If you remember the last picture, I should have put it up here, but that last picture, there was a heart, and somebody had colored, and they didn't stay in the lines, and they colored way outside the lines. And I said, guys, if you understand anything theological about grace, all of us were outside of those lines. Aren't we glad that God colored way outside the lines? And yet, even in that admittance, there's times that where you say, well, you know, I was just a little bit outside the lines. Man, Joe or Fred or whoever it is, they're way outside the lines. And we really don't have that concept. We don't really grasp really what grace is. Great, the great equalizer. When we begin to understand grace, and in biblical context, grace, we, we really begin to understand not just the parable of the two sons and, and why there's sometimes that messiness, but we begin to understand the focus comes back to the Father and, and that He's the giver of this grace. And, and one way it involves two sons, but it's not really about two sons, it's about the Father. And so oftentimes in our lives, folks, we, we can make you know, our spiritual walk all about us, and certainly it involves us. But it's all about the Father. And the minute that we really don't comprehend it, the minute that we don't understand that it all starts, really lives through and and ends with the Father, then that's where favoritism, partiality, and a list of other things begin to come into our heart and mind. Not that we would just shun somebody, but that we would begin to to really have those feelings on a day-by-day basis of, of favoritism in friendship, maybe favoritism in just the way that we would show mercy and grace to one another. Be very forgiving of somebody that we're close to, but not so forgiving to somebody that we say, well, you know, they kind of got what they deserved. In one way, <laughs> don't we all kind of deserve to get punishment for our sins? I mean, in the actuality, isn't that what grace is about, that God in his mercy and love for us, that he put that full payment, folks? It's not that he turned the other way from sin. Please always understand that there was a payment for your sin. It wasn't just that God said, well, it's not that bad that he watered down the severity of sin. No. The full brunt of sin was placed on Christ. He paid the total payment for it. And so it wasn't a watering down. It wasn't a turning away. This morning we're going to look at the what James is saying and then the why. And in Christianity, it is so easy for us to get the what part and not the why part. And here's the danger of getting the what without the why. Number one, it can lead very much to just religious practices. We kind of go through the motions. We do the what, but we don't get the why. Another danger, and we see this a lot in American Christianity, is that we become people that kind of keep a surface relationship or a surface kind of obedience to the Word and to God, and yet it never quite reaches and captivates the heart. So let's look first at the what. James chapter 2, look at verse 1. He gives us a command. The command, you don't have to know Greek. You don't need to know a whole bunch of deep theology. You just begin to look at verse 1 and you go, okay, that makes sense. Look what he said, my brothers. So he's addressing the church. He's addressing believers and he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
Now, there's a whole sermon just in those last four words, the Lord of glory, and we're not going to look at that this morning, but I, I promise you, when James is addressing this, he's going back to the holiness and the glory of God, and he's making the, the, the foundation of what he's about to say with no partiality, and he's talking about the glory of Christ, and, and there's a... There's a belief that most scholars would say that James is very mindful now of the glory of God. You know, that that Christ in all of his glory comes to earth in humanity. He leaves his glory to come and dwell among us. And so James kind of takes us back to the glory of the Lord when he says don't show partiality. Don't kind of measure people up by what they do. Just a tendency. And sometimes, guys, we're, we're worse than, than, the, than the females. I mean, how many times, just being honest, that, you know, we come up, we meet somebody for the first time, hey, Bob, who are you? And, and we find out that they are CEO of whatever. And it doesn't matter of whatever, just the fact that CEO is associated with their names. It's like, man, this guy's pretty important. We find out that somebody else is some other job. And all of a sudden, there's a ranking in our mind. It's not that we purposely wanted to rank them and say, okay, you're more important than this person. I will give you time. But it's just part of that human nature. And guys, we do that a lot. Why? Because as men, a lot of our identity as men is in what we do. Females, a lot of your identity is, is in your children. And kind of, I'm mom, I'm grandma. <laughs> That's your identity. And, and so, uh, guys, we get wrapped up in this. And so he starts and he says, look, if you want to give, just know the command. Here's the command. Don't show partiality. You want to kind of know the reason behind it? Because Christ left his glory and he dwelt among you. And then he gives an example of what this looks like. He could have put down a lot of different things. Perhaps this really happened in the Jerusalem church. Maybe he's drawing from something that they all would have been familiar with. But look at the example that he gives of missing the mark in verses 2 through 4. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring... And fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Command, verse 1. Don't show favorability. Don't show partiality. Kind of easy to understand. In case somebody just didn't grasp it, he says, okay, here's an example. You have somebody come in with, with you know, rings on their finger. Literally, in the Greek, it says gold finger. Almost gives you this James Bond feel. You know, gold finger comes in. He's got this gold, just, you know, not just one ring, but he's got a whole bunch of rings on his finger. And you see that, and instantly you kind of say, come over here. We, we're really glad to have you. In no way is he not saying that you should not welcome people. He's just saying there shouldn't show partiality. If we had a state senator today, I don't think we would be invading uh, this tax if we didn't say, hey, come sit here. We invade the tax when we would give differential uh, treatment to somebody else. It's not that we give honor where honors do. It's not that he's not saying that. He's not addressing that. What he's saying is, why do you judge people kind of by their dress, by their status in life? And you would give favorable preference to one based solely on that. When you know nothing about their heart, nothing about anything else. And then, look at verse 8. He demonstrates then how to hit the mark. A good teacher not only shows, okay, here's the command. Here's how you can miss the mark. But a good teacher always says, okay, you want to know how to hit the mark? Here's how you hit the mark. And look what he says in verse 8. 
if he really fulfilled the royal law according to the scripture. Now, again, why did he call it the royal law? This is the, the law based on Christ. He's coming back. Not just that this is something that's really nice to do, and this really plays well because we just want to be, have a really good society. Now he comes back to God as the authority. And so he says, if you really fulfilled the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. You, you want to know how to ace this task? You know how to, you want to get this? But in action, you really go out and you love your neighbor as yourself. And so it would be easy to look at verse 1 to kind of get the concept of no partiality and no favoritism, and then kind of look at the example and say, okay, from now on, if anybody comes in and they have gold rings on their finger, we're going to, and somebody else comes in and they're kind of, they look like they might be homeless, we're going to treat them exactly the same. We could take that lesson away. And it would be easy to kind of, you know, ground it all in verse 8 there, that as good Christians, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And all of that is true. But that's the what. It's not the why. I mean, it's got some measures of the why because Christ said to do it. Because he's the example of Christ. But there's a lot of things, guys, that we get the what and we don't get the, the why. And here's what is tempting in the way that we would even practice our faith is that we would have a head knowledge and not a heart change. I mean, you've probably heard that before. Well, he had some head knowledge. He had some changes in the way that he thinks, but he really never had the heart change. And folks, if I was to define what religion is in in the negative sense, it, it would be that head change changes some facts and the way you look at some things, but never having a heart change. And that's why we've always been, you know, man, hey, Christianity is not about just a, a head change. It's about a heart change. It's not about religion. It's, it's about relationship. And we say all those things, and all those things are true. But have you ever thought about how that really applies to you? That how much of your faith, how much of your walk, how much of your intimacy with holy God is just head change? Or is there a real heart change? Now, in salvation, by the grace and mercy of God, if you're a Christian this morning, if you put your full faith and trust in Christ, there's already been a heart change. The Bible says that he took out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, a miracle that only God does. You had no participation in that as far as you did not earn that. You did not you know, grant that to you because, hey, there's a favorable person down there. No, this change of the stone heart that we had before to a heart of flesh, as he calls it, a heart that could beat. Spiritually happened all because of the work of Christ. So theologically, if you're a Christian, there has been a heart change. But in the 24-7 of your Christian, the Christian walk, of, of Christianity, has there been a head change or a heart change? A lot of parents here. And when you were raising kids, or if you're in the process of raising kids, what are you really looking for? A head change or a heart change? That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Because if they just give you the head change, you know, you're going, okay, that's only as good, maybe only as good as when I'm standing right in front of them. 
can we put up that next picture? I mean, when we're teaching, you know, family devotions, how many of your families look just like this? Time, 7 o'clock, time for family devotions, and kids come running, they're smiling, they're excited, they climb up in a... I don't know of a single family. They had to stage that, I'm sure, because I don't know that there's a single family that, you know, said, okay, it's time for family devotions that kind of got this response. No, most of the time, can we show the next picture? That's kind of the response that oftentimes Carly and I would get in our house. You know, kind of like, okay, let's do the duty. You know, it's 7 o'clock. When will it ever be 7.15? You know, we want heart change. We don't just want head change. Why? Because we realize that when there's just a head change, do you realize that it, it opens you up? Let's, again, let's stay with our children because we understand that. It opens them up for so many things. One, when you have a head change without a heart change, it opens you up to manipulation. Anybody ever have a kid who tried to manipulate the situation? I mean, I, I can remember as clear as day the instructions that my mom had given to the babysitter. He's to go to bed at 10 o'clock. And that was really showing a lot of grace because that was past my bedtime. And so when it came 10 o'clock, well, guess what I did? I went to bed. I touched the bed. And then I went and did some other things to about 1130 or so. So that I could answer if my mom had, did you go to bed? What time did you go to bed? I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I could say that. Now, is that what my mom really meant about going to bed at 10 o'clock? No. I mean, so obvious. But I could, you know, I began to manipulate. Okay, here's the rules. I've got to go to bed at 10 o'clock. So at 10 o'clock, make sure you go in there, touch the bed, maybe even lay on the bed for just you know, a minute or two, and then go do something else so that I could have an answer for, did you go to bed at 10 o'clock? Yes, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I got the what. No clue about the why. And so when you have a head change and not a heart change, even in our Christian faith, folks, it opens us up to manipulation. And I promise you, I promise you, every one of us have tried to manipulate God to some effect there. The Pharisees, they, I think they really get a bad rap. I think that, that many of them were sincere, but they were sometimes very sincerely wrong because they had all these rules and they were able to keep these rules. So in one way they were thinking, okay, we got it right. We got the what? And that's when Christ had to come back. You've heard it been said. But I tell you, and he had to kind of counter because they had kind of made the rules. They knew they had to go at 10 o'clock, touch the bed, and come back. So somehow, that when they stood before God, did you go to bed at 10 o'clock? Yes, Lord, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. And Jesus checked their heart. He said, this is not about the head. This is not about outward actions as much as it is a heart change. And to think that we are not prone to that in our walk, Christian walk, to think that somehow we're not prone to kind of playing that game of manipulation with God. Folks, I, I think that you would have readily agree that we can be manipulators. I mean, I've heard people do gymnastics with the Scripture before. Well, it says... I mean, when it comes to the Jehovah's Witnesses, we get all over them for looking at one verse and not the context. Okay, yeah, let's read on. But when we do that, when we just want to look at one verse and not the context so that we can manipulate the situation, do we have the same kind of, 
you know, love for the word and, and that we really want the heart of the message and not just the words that are there? Does that make sense to you? I mean, we get it when it's our children and what we're trying to accomplish. But do we get it as we walk out our faith in Jesus Christ? So one thing it leads to, if we just have a head knowledge without heart change, head change without heart change, is manipulation. I didn't really do this, or I did that. It's not so bad. The other thing that we get is that second part of that, and that is we not only become a manipulator, we become a minimizer. Because when we're looking at the rules and we're kind of playing the rules and we're kind of twisting the rules, then all of a sudden, you know, I may come back and say, well, no, I didn't go to bed at 10. I went to bed at 11. But my sister, she went at midnight. So I just want to give you the whole perspective here, Mom. You said to go to bed at 10. I went to bed at 11. She went to bed at 12. I'm guilty. I'm just not as guilty. And so what we begin to do is minimize the original intention, go to bed at 10 o'clock. Manipulators, minimizers. Would you agree this morning that it's kind of easy to get in that Christian mode? That we've all worn those clothing, that that if we had to put on our spiritual uniform, that across the back of the top, manipulator, minimizer, now playing defensive end, you know, for Cornerstone Church, the minimizer. We've all done it. And so what James does, he he comes out and he says, okay, here's the what. It's it's very obvious. It really isn't that hard. He gives an example of what not to do. He comes back in verse 8 and he says, okay, here's when you nail it, you really get it. But he surrounds us with the evidence here of, okay, I want you to have a heart change. Look at verse 10 and 11. So that we don't get into this mindset of minimization. I'm wrong. I'm just not as wrong. As this person. So that we don't get in that mindset. Look what he says in verse 10, 10 and 11. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. What's he saying? Guys, don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. Uh, several of the guys and I are going through... Uh, a book by Jerry Bridges, a great author, called Respectable Sins. It's one of those that you're going, you know, when you start looking at some of the titles within there, you're going, man, that's not so bad. And that's exactly why he wrote the book. So that we're called into the sainthood. We are saints. In the first couple of chapters, he just says, okay, this is who you are. You're a saint. You're called into holiness. You know, we're not going to live perfectly, but we're called into this holiness. And so us to begin to examine our lives, not in legalism, but so that we can have, as Brittany, as you were saying before, the, the freedom. Sin no longer has the power over us. So let's not minimize, let's not manipulate, let's get down to the heart of the matter. That's all the what. What is the why? Why not show partiality? Why not, you know, favoritism? A lot of good reasons. It's rude. We could come up with a lot of social reasons, but, but really there's only one reason that we would make biblically. And that is we got to where we are because of God's grace and his grace alone. That when we understand grace 
and how nothing that God, he hasn't saved us because there was merit. Can you really trust and believe what the scripture says? That not only was there not merit before, you know, that God didn't look down and saw merit in our life and saved us because there was merit and work and that we were worthy of it. But if I understand the scriptures, the Bible didn't even save me because there was some future worth that I was going to bring to the kingdom. When I really trust what the word says, it says, okay, look, you were not saved because, hey, he's going to make a good one. No, I'm saved by grace and by grace alone. I haven't added anything to it before. I can't add anything to it afterwards. Saved by grace and grace alone. The Bible makes it very clear, folks, that God loves you. But that love is not built on what you can do for him. As I was a kid, I always kind of marveled at, it says even our best works were like filthy rags before a holy God. And as a little kid, guys, I I turned that around to to my viewpoint of, well, man, that's an ungrateful God. I mean, that's all I could see as a little kid. I'm going, you know, know, if I go out there and, and do something really nice and really kind, you know, doesn't God appreciate that? It's not that God doesn't appreciate it. He didn't save you because you were going to go do something nice. And as I began to understand the gospel more and more, I began to grasp that. That God wasn't trying to thumb his nose at me. He was just letting me know the truth about himself and the truth about me. That he saved me by grace and grace alone. Radley, will you read the, the scripture that you have for us this morning? Can we put that one up there, on there? So, so that no one can what, Radley? Boast. Uh, boasting is a form of favoritism, partiality. It's, it's a mindset. You've, you've kind of said that this is a good thing, and, and there's a form of that. And so one thing that Paul's doing in Ephesians, he's bringing us back, and he said, look, I want you to know that salvation, what God has done on your behalf, is not because he saw something of great value that you did, but man, I need to get that Bobby. He's going to be helpful for the kingdom. Now I go to verse 10 and I begin to find out, yes, he has prepared works for me to do, but even he prepared those in advance for me to do. I can't even sit there and go, okay, now that I'm a Christian, let me go do these things. I'm going to go change the world. Now if I look at verse 10, it says, okay, even those things, God in his grace and mercy and sovereignty has prepared for me to do. So in other words, we don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to favoritism or partiality. We don't have a spiritual leg to be able to come out there and say, you know, I really am just a little bit better than that other person. And if there was any doubt, any doubt whatsoever, it's a little bit longer passage, but uh, can you read for us Titus? I mean, this is humbling, guys. And I think it was written so that we might know the truth of God and the truth about ourselves. Pretty humbling, isn't it? Now, again, I don't think that the purposes of God in, in, in these instructions is to sit there and try to belittle us in some kind of um, way of embarrassment. 
I think he's trying to give us the freedom to not show favoritism or partiality. See, behind every what that you try to instruct your kids to was that why. And the why wasn't always just because mom said so. I mean, we resorted to that quite often. When the kids, why? Because your dad said so. And, And really, that should be sufficient in one way. And God easily could have said, because dad says so, and he could make that, this edict from heaven, and he could just deem it to be right and correct, and, and w- would it not be right and correct? And yet by his grace and mercy, he gives us a why. He gives us a why to this no favoritism or partiality. He said, you, know, you want me to know why you, you just are not entitled to do this? Why you not only should not do it, but why you're not entitled to do it? Because if it wasn't for my grace, you wouldn't be my son or daughter. Once you were this. But this is who I've made you. Should do two things. When we get that heart knowledge, when we really grasp the grace by which we've been saved, it changes not just our head. Oh, I need to be nice to people. We need to be welcoming to people. Oh, I don't need to show partiality. It changes our heart. And here's what it does, folks. It brings a compassion. And when we have compassion in our lives, we're going to have a passion in our lives. The compassion is, I was there. Remember what we said last week, that that famous line, hey, I'm just a beggar who found food, and I want to show other beggars where I found this food. When we really get that, when we understand that, grasp that, embrace that, when it comes to our salvation, that we were just simply beggars who were given food, and now we just simply tell others about, hey, I found a wife. Or as Brittany put it this morning, here's where I found my freedom. Then number one, it is a compassionate thing. Compassion is, hey, I've been in those shoes. But compassion, when given the Holy Spirit of God, brings about a passion. I I long to be amidst, amidst the people that have a passion for lost folks. I long to be a pastor that, uh, that has a passion for lost folks. Not just a compassion for lost people. There's a difference. I think it starts with the compassion. When I realize by grace and grace alone have I been saved, this is who I was, what Seth read for us. This is, you know, no measure of, of, of greatness within anything that I did did God save me. So that brings compassion to all lost people. And from that compassion, we develop a passion for lost folks. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I don't know. I, I, like we said last week, I don't know that I could ever say that I went to bed starving. I went to bed hungry, but never starving. But I can only imagine that if you've experienced starving, really doing without in your life, that once you found the source of food, that you would go to every other beggar that you knew, that you had audience with, and you would show them where you found that food. I can only imagine anybody who's ever been through the heartbreak of loss, loss of a loved one, it just develops a compassion. You see things differently. I shared with you a couple weeks before, Father's Day was a hard day, but it developed some compassion. 
after 32 and a half years of ministry, I said, man, I'm sorry for your loss. To somebody who lost a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife. And, and, and I really meant it. But I didn't understand it. I had never lost somebody close to me like that. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just, okay, a good feeling towards somebody. All of a sudden, there was compassion. And all of a sudden, that compassion, I pray, will turn into passion. That we would just, you know, that you want to go out and help other people. Does that make sense? Of how God does that. And when we embrace that and we really, that's when the heart changes. And we stop with this whole manipulation. Well, I didn't actually do this. I jumped over the line. That's when we stop becoming pretenders. We stop becoming manipulators, minimizers, and we just say, God, thank you. (laughs) I was a, a guy who was lost. And now I see. And I was blind and I see. Now I was lost, unfound. I was dead and now you've made me alive. Will you help me now to go and take that kind of compassion, that kind of passion to others who are struggling with that? We'll close in this. Brittany, I appreciate you just hearing. Number one, you ladies, wonderful job of leading us this morning in worship. But, but you know, when you call yesterday and say, hey, Pastor, can, can, I, can I do this? One reason why I think that there's a passion in your heart for freedom because you shared your testimony with us, so it's not, I'm, I'm not talking outside of shop today, is because you were in bondage. And when you've been in bondage and, and the jail cell opens wide and you're able to walk out of there, it's like, guys, the key, the key is right back here. Doesn't it make sense that with, it brings compassion and then that compassion brings a passion? And it didn't happen because all of a sudden there was a rule in verse 1 that says, don't do this. Don't treat people this way. No, we get the what, but we get the why. And when we get the why, it changes our heart. And it begins to change the way that we live our life. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, thank you that you are a God that just didn't give us the what's, but you gave us the why's. Father, you just didn't put out ten commands and follow it up with ten more commands and a hundred more commands. Father, every command that you gave was was purpose. And Father, it is holy and right that you would give that. And yet, Father, our greatest need is not just to become people that get an 80 or a 90 on the test instead of a 60 on the test like we used to and learn more spiritual facts and become just a little bit more spiritually disciplined in some disciplines. Father, what we need is a heart change. And Father, that could only come through Christ. We thank you today that, Father, for those who have placed their trust in you, you've taken out a heart of stone and you've put in a heart of flesh. Father, that grace was abundant for the need of our life. And Father, now that is brought to us, I pray, a compassion for lost folks and a passion to reach them by all means possible, loving them as you have loved us, reaching them as you have reached us, Father. And so, Father, make us a compassionate people, make us a passionate people, make us a people that understand the truth about ourselves and the beauty of this amazing grace that you have saved us. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.